Do you remember going to the movies? I mean, how long has it been since you actually went to the movies? Now, maybe some of you have been recently, but probably for most of us, particularly in this kind of quarantine COVID time, it's been a while since we've been to the movies. Uh, I was thinking about this and like, I just can't remember the last movie I went to. Comment uh, below here. When was, when was the last time you went to a movie? Do you remember? Uh, maybe it was last week. Maybe, you know, it was five months ago. Uh, but even if you haven't been to the movies uh, recently, uh, we all know how movies start and how movies end. How do you know that you're at the end of the movie? Well, the story has concluded, and then what happens? The credits roll. They roll the credits, and what are the credits? The credits are the director, the main actors, the, the cast, and the crew. And, uh, but it, even uh, there's some people on, in the credits that we've never even heard of. We, we don't even know what they do. Uh, there's the, the editors, there's the assistant editors, there's the costume designers, there's the key grips. Do you know what a key grip is? Um, you might have to look that up. I know what a key grip is. But there's, there's people, there's credits, minutes after minutes of credits, all these people that have worked to produce the movie, and they roll the credits uh, showing who they are and how they contributed to the movie. But let's be honest, most of us don't stick around uh, to watch the credits. I mean, the credits roll and we're out of there. Now, we may stick around if we've heard there's some funny outtakes or something and we want to, you know, see the outtakes. But let's be honest, for most of us, we're gone by the time they roll the credits. I say that because as we get to the end of Colossians here today, yes, the end of Colossians today, we see that Paul rolls the credits. He lists these people, uh, and some of them we've heard of, but some of them we've never heard of. We don't, we don't know their names, and we certainly don't know much of what they did, but as we come to the end of these New Testament letters, often we just kind of don't stick around for them. We, uh, we just kind of stop reading. But there's some things here at the end of Colossians that I think are really instructive for us. In fact, um, a couple of weeks ago, as I was thinking about this last message, and I knew it was just kind of name after name, I was saying, I'm not really excited about this message. Uh, but the Lord really, uh, really opened my eyes this week to just so much that is in this chapter and uh, things uh, for us to learn and, and encouragement for us. Uh, and it's really been amazing. So I'm excited to share these verses with you. Even though they're people that we don't really know much about, uh, there are actually uh, a lot of helpful things in these verses. So go ahead and open your Bibles uh, with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 4, um, verses 7 through 18, the last 12 verses of the book of Colossians. And I'll read it for us and you can follow along here. But beginning of verse 7 says this. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. 
Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, as we look at these last verses of Colossians that we've been looking at for several months, uh, obviously what jumps out at us in these last verses are just all these names, all these names of, of people. Uh, but I want us to review, before we jump into the names, I want us to review uh, where we've been in Colossians and how we've kind of summarized it. We began in chapter one by saying that the theme of chapter one is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It talks in chapter one about who Jesus is and how he created the world and that he's to be preeminent over all things and in everything. Jesus is to be preeminent. He's, he's all we need. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But then we turn to chapter two where we saw that strict does not equal spiritual. And Paul makes the argument that just because you're uh, being very disciplined or you're an ascetic and you're treating your, your, your body harshly or you're being extra diligent in your, uh, your disciplines, strict doesn't necessarily equal spiritual. But then we move to chapter three where we saw that Paul said that grace doesn't equal apathy. Uh, just because it's not about uh, being strict with our bodies or being super disciplined in our relationship with Jesus, grace doesn't mean apathy. So we're told in, in chapter 3 to seek the kingdom above, and, and then he goes on to say, put to death these, these things of, of, of sinful ways in our lives. And then he says, put on these good things. And toward the end of chapter 3, he talks about how we can live in harmony with one another. And those are all things that take effort and, uh, and, and require some, some effort on our part. But then we get to chapter four, and I'm going to summarize chapter four like this. Jesus equals relationships. Now, why do I say that? Because obviously we see all these names and these relationships that Paul has in chapter four of Colossians. But we're also reminded that Jesus exists in relationship. Our Savior uh, is not alone. Jesus has eternally existence with, existed with the Father and with the Spirit. The God that we love and serve is a triune God. He has existed forever in relationship. That means that God is not ultimately a power, but that God ultimately is personal. He's relational in himself. And Jesus, he visited this earth. Jesus came in his incarnation. He, he put on flesh so that we could have a relationship with him, that we could be restored to a relationship with God the Father through Jesus. God is all about relationships, and Jesus came to give us a relationship with God, 
And he also instructs us in, that we're to have a relationship with God, but also to have good relationships with others. So the great commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're to have a relationship with God, and we're to have good relationships with others. Those within the body of Christ, and also those outside the body of Christ, to, to love our neighbors. And so we see that illustrated here in Paul's life, that he's a, he's a man connected to other people. He has relationships. He's, he's doing the ministry not by himself, but he has these folks in Rome where he's in prison that he's, he's sending to Colossae. He says, these are, these are my fellow workers, my beloved brothers, and I'm sending them to you so they can minister to you and you can know how things are with me. But he's, he's deeply relational. And that, thus, you see all these names uh, of people that the Apostle Paul loves. And so let's uh, look together at some of these people. And as I said, uh, 12 verses, and we actually have 12 names in these 12 verses. I mean, if you uh, don't count Paul's name, and if you include uh, Barnabas, who is just kind of mentioned in his relationship to Mark, uh, you have 12 names here. Tychicus, Onesimus, this is a list here of the top baby names of 2020, okay? I just want you to know that. If you're looking for a baby name, here they are. Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Barnabas, Jesus, not to be confused with the Jesus we worship, but he says Jesus called justice. And then Epaphras, Epaphras, uh, we learn, is probably the founder of the church in Colossae, um, and then Luke, we know Luke because Luke, uh, like Mark, is also a writer of one of our gospels, the gospel of Luke. And then he also wrote uh, the, the story of Acts. And we find out here in other places that Luke is a doctor. Um, and then this guy named Demas, we'll talk about in a little bit. And then he just kind of says, hey, I, I want uh, to greet, I want you to greet for me the, the brothers of Laodicea. And so Colossae, this church, uh, is located in the Lycus Valley uh, along the Mediterranean, north of the Mediterranean Sea. And Laodicea and this other city that he mentions, Hierapolis, are two kind of towns or cities close to Colossae. And so he says, hey, I, I want you to greet the, the brothers of Laodicea. And then there's this, this woman named Nympha who apparently uh, opens her home for the church in Laodicea. And then finally, there's Archippus, and we'll talk about Archippus uh, in a few minutes as well. A lot of people, a lot of different names, and a lot of different contributions or ministries that ha they have alongside Paul, with Paul, uh, in the church in Colossae, through uh, uh, with Paul in Rome. So let's look uh, at some of these in a little bit more detail. The first one we see is Tychicus. Tychicus uh, is the mailman. Uh, Paul has written this letter because Epaphras has come and said, hey, I'm kind of concerned about uh, my church in Colossae and there's these false teachers coming up. Well, Paul writes this letter and then he gives the letter to Tychicus, who's delivering this letter as well as some others um, back to the church in Colossae. And looks how, look at how um, Paul describes Tychicus. This is a wonderful description here. He is, he's going to tell you all about my activities, uh, church in Colossae, and he describes Tychicus as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. Isn't that great? A beloved brother. He's my brother. He's faithful as a minister, and he's also a fellow servant. He's, he's serving Christ. And the, look at the last three words there. 
He's serving Christ in the Lord. He's my brother in the Lord. He's a minister in the Lord. He's a fellow servant in the Lord. And he sent, he sent Tychicus to them, so, verse 8, so that you'll know how we are here in Rome, so that you won't be worried about me, and that he can do what? That he can encourage your hearts. So this wonderful ministry of Tychicus, as he delivers the mail, but he also goes to Colossae to encourage their hearts. Um, Onesimus apparently is also coming uh, with Epaphras, and we know a little bit more about Onesimus uh, from the book of Philemon, and Onesimus is is a former slave. Uh, We find out in verse 11 that uh, some of these men, uh, verse 11 says there's Jesus who is called Justice, and then he says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Now, why does he say that? He says these are the men of the circumcision, meaning these are Jewish believers. So we need to think about this for a minute. Uh, there's this church in Rome, there's this church in Colossae, and, and Paul's saying, these men with me are, are men of the circumcision. And that means not all of them are. And so what we're seeing here is this cultural blending of Gentile and Jew. Boy, we should stop and think about this in the moment that we're living in in our culture, that the church is supposed to bring cultures that are diametrically opposed, people with different backgrounds and, and, and ethnicities and, and race together in the Lord, that those backgrounds and, and those ethnicities fade to the background because we are in the Lord. And we see that here, that, that those who are from the circumcision group and those are fr- who are from the Greek-speaking world are coming together in the Lord. They are coming together in the church. Church, that's what we're supposed to be. That we don't just greet the people that look like us. That we don't just minister to the people that have the same backgrounds that, that we do, but that all those kind of worldly barriers and natural uh, barriers kind of break down as we come together in the Lord. And this is a huge lesson and, and timely for us today because he says these men of circumcision are working with me in what? They're working with me for the kingdom of God. What ultimately matters is the kingdom of God. He goes on, and the next, uh, the next person he talks about is Epaphras. Epaphras is a wonderful example for us too, because Epaphras, who's probably the founder of this church in Colossae, uh, look at how Paul just uh, describes Epaphras as this wonderful uh, man of prayer. He says, he greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Epaphras, he founded this church. He's worried about you guys and, 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 and some of the teaching that you're taking in. And he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. And, and what is he praying? That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the, the will of God. I bear witness, I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Again, uh, several times as he describes these uh, 12 folks, he uses words like hard workers, uh, fellow servants, uh, beloved. Three times he describes them as as beloved. Uh, He also describes them as faithful. And all different backgrounds, 
uh, all different sizes, all different uh, prominence, if you will. We all know about Paul and Timothy and Luke and Mark. These guys wrote scripture. But had you ever thought about Tychicus? Have you ever thought about the faithfulness of a guy named Epaphras who's struggling in prayer for other believers? So you may not know who the assistant editor of the movie is, but he contributed to the movie. You may not even know what a key grip does, but they roll the credits and they give him credit because these are all the people that made this happen. And Paul is giving us just this wonderful litany of all these different types of people from different backgrounds with different gifts that contribute to the kingdom of God, that come together in the Lord and contribute to the kingdom of God. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture. Luke is a doctor. Aristarchus is a fellow prisoner. Onesimus is a former slave. All these different back... Nympha, who houses the church in Laodicea, opens her home to the church in Laodicea, is probably, uh, if she's housing a church, uh, there's some indication that she could be a, a woman of great wealth. So you've got this slave, this doctor, this woman perhaps of, of wealth, and others coming together in the Lord. But not only do we see in Colossians chapter 4 here this interpersonal relationships that, that, that following Jesus is, is about relationships, a, a relationship with him and others. Not only is there the interpersonal relationships, but there's also kind of the, the corporate relationship here because he mentions uh, the church in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. And so he's saying uh, not only are we to be uh, connected personally, but we're also be, to be connected corporately as churches. Do you see that? Because he says, hey, when you get this letter that Tychicus is bringing to you, uh, send it on to Laodicea. And the letter that they have, read their letter. So this also is instructive for us. We're not the only church in the world. And we ought to care about other churches. And we, we shouldn't hoard resources as a church or, or, or feel like we're the only ones on the block or in the city that, that are doing it right. Because here, not only see the interpersonal love and affection, but you also see the corporate love and affection. Hey, care for the people in Laodicea. And as we mentioned Laodicea, we have to mention kind of a sad story about that. Now, if you just read these verses here, you think Laodicea, and there's a church there, and you may not think about it otherwise. But the rest of the story, if you don't have the background, is that you, you fast forward a few decades, and you get to the book of Revelation, where John writes, uh, he has these visions, and in Revelation chapter 3, uh, the angel, uh, Jesus, Jesus speaks to the angel, uh, the messenger to the church of Laodicea. And the words there in Revelation chapter 3 about the church of Laodicea, guess what? They're not good words. You know, here from Paul in Colossians, hey, encourage the church of Laodicea. Fast forward a few decades, what's happened to the church in Laodicea? Well, the exact words there are, you're neither hot nor cold, but church, you're lukewarm. And so what does Jesus say? I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's a sad story as we think about Laodicea here versus what's going to happen to the church 
throughout the decades. I'm going to grow lukewarm. It's a warning. So there's the interpersonal relationships, and there's also the corporate relationships, and there's also this diversity of ministries. There's this multi, uh, multiple purposes for believers in the Lord. You see that some of these people are charged, hey, welcome Tychicus, welcome Onesimus. Um, Mark is probably going to uh, come your way. He's going to travel your way. Welcome him. So people uh, in, in the same church have different gifts and different ministries. So some people are going to welcome. He says, I'm sending these guys to, to you so you'll know how it is with me. The body of Christ is about sharing life together. He says uh, in, in, in verse 8 uh, that I'm sending these guys that they may encourage your hearts. Some of our ministries are encouragement. And in verse 11, he says that these, these men, uh, the, the men of the circumcision, they have been a comfort to me. So there's all these different names, but there's also all these different ministries within the kingdom, if when, within the church. And you see Epaphras is, has, is a church planter, but he's not just a church planter. He's also just engaging, struggling in prayer. What's the lesson here? Well, we know Paul's name. We know these prominent people. But we also know there's, there's all these different types of spiritual gifts and all these different uh, places within the body of Christ that you can serve. And not all those that teach uh, are, are the welcomers. And though you, you might be wonderful at, at welcoming and, and greeting, uh, you, you really help just kind of set this uh, atmosphere of hospitality because of who you are and how you greet and you welcome one another. Different personalities, all different sizes, all different shapes, all different backgrounds, and all different ministries in the Lord. It's beautiful. And as we see this emphasis here in chapter 4 of Colossians uh, about relationships, it's, it comes to you and me, uh, I think, at a timely, a timely chapter. Because we're in a season or we're in a culture, uh, begin, we're, we're in a culture that is isolated, but we're in a season that has, has even magnified that isolation. Why? Because of COVID and because of quarantine. But here's the deal. As Christians, we can't be isolated. We can't pull away from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We see here in chapter 4, uh, this is about relationships, a relationship with God and a relationship with others. Isolation is not Christianity. So when it's time to meet back together as a church family, you got to come back together. And, and, and be with your brothers and sisters. And some of you are thinking, hey, man, I'm, I'm scared. I'm worried. I, I don't want to be sick. I get that, okay? But here's the concern I have pastorally. Over the last months, we have been more and more isolated and separated as families or, or as singles, even as we live alone. And it's dangerous because the scriptures call us to be connected to one another. See, we can't be cyber Christians. There's no such thing as cyber Christianity. We are embodied people in need of relational connection, face-to-face -face connection. 
We can't ultimately do church virtually. Chapter 4 shows us that we have to be deeply connected to others in the body of Christ. You may have an iPhone, but there's no such thing as iChristianity. It can't be done. We've got to be connected. Resist isolation. Resist isolation and push forward in connection and relationship. There's a couple other people that I want to point to specifically that I think are great examples for us here from this passage. Uh, And the first one is Mark. Mark uh, is mentioned here, and you might read, you know, the verse about Mark and realize that, hey, he's the guy that wrote the gospel of Mark. But if you, again, if you don't have the background, you might not know how significant this is that Paul mentions Mark. Mark is with me. That's significant because we find out in the book of Acts that as Paul had begin, begun to journey, Mark was originally traveling with Paul, but they had this falling out. Their relationship was ruptured, and what ended up happening? They parted ways. They split the ministry. Mark went his way. Paul went his way. But what we find out here from Colossians chapter 4 is that that rift, that rupture, has been healed. There's been reconciliation. This is a good news story. This, this, this should encourage us that though the reality is that there will be relational breakdown, here we have a wonderful example of two godly men coming back in to relationship and reconciling with one another and now working in the body together. That's awesome. That's great. The next person, though, is, is more of a sad story because the next uh, negative example I want give, to give you is uh, the example of Demas. And we find Demas in chapter 14. Uh, it says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. And uh, what we find out about Demas as the story rolls on is that while Demas is here serving with Paul, he's, he's with Paul in Rome and he's, he's greeting the church in Colossae, we find out in 2 Timothy, at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, that Paul says, Demas, having loved this world, has departed from me. Demas is with Paul now, he's ministering with him, but at the end of his ministry, Paul is grieved and he he tells the believers, Demas, because he loved this world, departed from me and probably either departed from the ministry or departed from the faith. You might call Demas the college dropout in the faith. (laughs) See, uh, Demas deserted the ministry or he perhaps deserted the faith. And as we honor our seniors today, or our graduates, uh, this, is, this is worth bringing up, that, that Demas departed from the faith. You know, there's a lot of studies recently that talk um, in pretty horrific terms about how often Christian kids, kids that are raised in Christian homes, they, they leave the home and they go off to college and they depart from the faith, like Demas. 
Now, I say that as a, a warning today, but also to, to, to grab our attention that we need to disciple our kids so that when they depart from our homes, they don't depart from the faith. And just to opine for a minute about why I think that often happens, um, I think there's three uh, big reasons from the things, the research that I've read about kids kind of leaving the faith. I think there's three kind of major reasons uh, that kids often leave their faith as they go to college. Reason number one is I think that they, they don't have the preeminence of Jesus. We saw that in Colossians 1. Jesus is to be preeminent. It's too often our kids have been inoculated just with kind of biblical ethics or a morality of Christianity without the preeminence of Jesus. We're not handing our kids ultimately just some ethic or some morality. We're, we're wanting them to see Jesus as preeminent and beautiful and the one that is worthy of all worship. And oftentimes it's kids that have kind of grabbed on to a tradition or an ethic but haven't really fallen in love with Jesus that end up departing from the faith. The preeminence of Jesus. There's a second reason that I think oftentimes kids uh, that have grown up in, in Christian homes depart from the faith, and that is I think that we can be guilty of entertaining our kids instead of equipping our kids for life and ministry. And yeah, church... Uh, can be fun and church uh, can be something that we look forward to. But our role as a church is to equip, equip to disciple our kids, to, to be able to answer the hard questions and to have reason for the faith that was, is within them. And to know the hope and the, the, be able to defend the, the Christian faith as they go out into the world. We can't just entertain our kids with games and songs and, and skits and all this kind of stuff if we're not also equipping our kids to understand their faith, to embrace their faith, and to be able to defend their faith. We've got to equip them. And then, hopefully, Lord willing, they won't leave the faith. They won't depart from the faith. And then thirdly, a lot of the studies show that kids that depart from the faith they didn't really have good Christian mentors, uh, people discipling them, relationships with other people that were walking diligently with Christ beside their parents. So the research shows that the more adults, the more Christian, faithful Christian adults that kids have in their lives, pouring into them, being mentors to them, discipling them, the less likely they are to depart from the faith as they grow and go off the preeminence of Christ, equipping rather than entertaining, and having relationships. That's what Colossians chapter 4 emphasizes, relationships. We talked about Mark. That's a positive example. We talked about Demas. That's a negative example. The last person I want to talk about is Archippus. Archippus, we find in verse 17, and it says this, it says, say to Archippus, see that, you fulfill, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now, if Demas is a bad example, uh, Mark is a good example, Archippus is an admonition. Tell Archippus, 
fulfill your ministry that you've received in the Lord. Now, why does Paul say that to him? What was going on with Archippus? Well, we don't know. Uh, we read his name also in the book of Philemon. There's a possibility that he was a pastor. But why is Paul encouraging them uh, to, to remind him to fulfill his ministry in the Lord? Was he discouraged? Was he timid? Was he being persecuted? Um, was he just tired? What was going on in Archippus that Paul needed to encourage him to fulfill his ministry in the Lord. We don't know, but Paul's saying, keep on keeping on. Don't let up. Don't be discouraged. Don't give in. You might be persecuted, but fulfill your ministry. And notice that he says there, fulfill your ministry in the Lord. Not Paul's ministry, not Timothy's ministry, not Luke's ministry, but Archibus. Fulfill your ministry in the Lord. Fulfill your ministry in the Lord. Do you know your ministry in the Lord? Man, I hope you do. I hope you know how God has gifted you, how he's wired you, how he's given you spiritual gifts, and how you best serve in the body of Christ. And if you don't know that, man, we would love to come alongside you and help you discover that fit discover how you contribute in the, in the body of Christ. I'd love to meet with you. Our elders or some of our other leaders would love to, to help you define and figure out how God's created you to minister. Info at centennialchurch.com. You can always reach us. We'd love to sit down and talk to you. Fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. As I think about different people and different ministries in the body of Christ. I think even here at Centennial about people fulfilling their ministry. I think about Scott Holtz and these, the words here, hard worker, fellow worker. I think about my brother Scott who, who just works so hard as a servant of this church. I think about these words here about these guys comforted me. And I think about a conversation just last week with Janie Daly, who says, Ross, I pray for you every day. <laughs> what a comfort that people would pray for you. What an awesome ministry. I think about Garrett, a beloved brother, an encourager. You have a ministry. Fulfill it in the Lord. In the Lord ends verse 17, and it also ends verse 7, and I think that's a great way to conclude, because the theme of this chapter is that in the Lord, you have a family, and in the Lord, you have a ministry. In the Lord, you have a family. You're not alone. You have brothers and sisters, and in the Lord, you have a ministry. You're not just a spectator, but God has called you, God has gifted you, he's appointed you to fulfill your ministry. So I want to end by asking you two application questions. The first one is what I said just a minute ago. Do you know how God has gifted you? Do you know where you best contribute? 
whether it's comfort, encouragement, teaching, administration, prayer. Do you know that? Man, we would love to help you have a confidence uh, in knowing your ministry and helping you fulfill it. And then secondly, how can you more deeply connect in relationship with others? Brothers and sisters, going deeper all throughout this chapter. Person, person, person. Relationship. How could you more deeply connect with your brothers and sisters, particularly here at Centennial Church? This is a difficult time to connect. But what steps could you make, whether it's initiating with someone this week or joining a Bible study or adult Bible fellowship or a small group or something like that? How can you more deeply connect? You were created for relationship. A relationship with God and a relationship with others. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you love us. You love us as a father. You want a relationship with us, and you've made that possible through Jesus. Lord, I pray for each person as we gather, uh, even electronically today, Lord, that you would help us to grow deeper with one another and to fulfill our ministries. God, for those that are timid, would you, would you give them courage? For those that are discouraged, Lord, would you, would you give them encouragement? Would you, would you comfort them? For those that feel isolated and lonely this morning, God, would you help us be prompted to, to, to initiate, to comfort, and to reach out to those that might be lonely, discouraged, feeling isolated? God, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for giving us a relationship with you and calling us to be in relationship in your church. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray.